Hey everyone, welcome to our midweek teaching series of Path Forward as we explore the Sermon on the Mount together. My name is DJ Martin, church pastor here at Parker Ford Church. It's wonderful to have you with us, whether you're just watching online or a regular attender member of Parker Ford Church. We're really glad to have you with us today. Today we're continuing in our series through the Sermon on the Mount, and specifically we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 5 verses 38 to 48, where Jesus talks about loving your enemies, which is the title of today's teaching, Love Your Enemies. This passage is really why I chose uh, to do the midweek teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. I wanted to build a teaching that would lead us to a place where we had to wrestle through this together. So let's pray together and ask the Lord to speak through this teaching and this passage today. Father, we thank you for the Sermon on the Mount. What a gift to us to have the teaching of Jesus where he says, this is what it's like to live in my kingdom. This is how you are to live Um, to walk in my way of righteousness. We thank you for it. Today, as we wrestle through this, in many ways, very, very difficult, challenging passage, we pray that you would shape us and teach us to be a people who love like you love. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A path forward, the, the hope of this series has been through the Sermon on the Mount to show that Jesus offers us a path out of gridlock, out of partisanship, out of rage, out of chaos. He offers us a different way to live than what the kingdoms of the earth, the politics of the earth offer to us. And as Christians, our primary allegiance is to his kingdom and no kingdom on earth. This is why it's been so dangerous, the mixture of nationalism um, with American patriotism with the church has been a largely toxic mixture often, uh, especially in the conservative evangelical church. As Christ followers, our primary allegiance is always to the kingdom of God. That doesn't mean we can't love the place where we're from and work for its welfare, certainly. We are common good people. We work for the common good, as Paul uh, tells um, his, his own disciples to do. We are working for the common good of the people we live among, but our primary allegiance is the kingdom of God, and Jesus is going to call us to some radical things in his kingdom that are very different than what the world has to offer. In this passage today, we're going to see this. The central teaching of Jesus when he began his ministry, his first public sermon was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You can touch it. It's right here in the person of Christ. And the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus's explanation of how to live in his kingdom today here on earth. Which leads us to our passage today. In Matthew chapter 5 verse 38, Jesus says, you have heard that it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, Do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? 
Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. In these passages, in the preceding passages, Jesus has used this phrase, you have heard it said, but I say to you, where he's offering us a different way forward. So there's the old way of righteousness and the new way of righteousness, kingdom righteousness. So he says, when you are injured, according to the old way, you inflict the same injury that you received, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. If someone punched you and knocked out a tooth, the fair justice according to the old way of righteousness was you got to punch them back and knock out, of, knock out a tooth. But Jesus says, I say to you, in my kingdom, do not harm. Rather, help and aid the one who has harmed you. This is where the, the famous verse comes, when you're slapped, turn the other cheek. He also says, according to the old way of righteousness, the old kingdom, when you have an enemy, you hate your enemy. You love your friend, you love your brother, but you hate your enemy. But Jesus says, but I say to you, in my kingdom, you love and bless your enemy as the heavenly, as your heavenly father loves and blesses you. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still enemies of God, the love of God broke forth in the world through Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life as we follow Jesus, the love of God. Perhaps nothing in the Sermon on the Mount, and this is from Sky Jathani's What If Jesus Was Serious devotional, perhaps nothing in the Sermon on the Mount makes people more uncomfortable than Jesus' words against retaliation. The call to not resist the evil person, to turn the other cheek, to walk the second mile, and to give more than what is demanded all seem like nonsense to any sensible person, certainly according to the world. Sky Jatani goes on to say, anyone actually living this way, we are told, would never get ahead in the world. Nice guys finish last. For this reason, many people have tried to reinterpret Jesus' teaching in light of practical realities. You can't be serious, Jesus. You can't. Surely he was speaking about something else. He couldn't actually mean that this is how we're supposed to live. So he says, for this reason, many people have tried to reinterpret Jesus' teaching in light of practical realities to make his counterintuitive commands appear more conventional or at least less ridiculous. Behind this is really a desire to justify ourselves. We desperately want to rationalize our hatred and anger. We want to retaliate and resist those who interfere with our desires. We want to believe our selfishness and devotion to self-preservation are not only acceptable but admirable qualities for a Christian. Jesus, however, leaves no room for such arguments. The ethic of love that dominates his kingdom is all-encompassing. Our call to self-sacrificial love most, must override and restrain our instinct for retaliation. It's always going to be a, a temptation for people to hear these words and try to reinterpret them. It's always going to be a, tem- a temptation for Christians to play according to the rules of the world. Jesus said to his disciples, 
rulers of the earth love to lord it over one another. How powerful and strong and mighty and glorious they are. But he says, among you it shall not be like that. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you serve one another. We're always going to be attempted, attempted to use the sword, to use political power to get our means through, because in our minds, the means justify the end. And this is where you get things like the Crusades and different things like that, where political powers have intermarried with the Christian faith and created a distorted form of Christianity. It's always going to be a temptation for us to try to say, ah, we need to be a people who punch back, who fight back, who fight for the good things. But Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Over the last several years, since the 2016 election, many, many things have been written and talked about. The reason why Donald Trump received particularly the white evangelical vote. And I'm not here to break that down or or say why it happened, but I do think it's interesting that one of the explanations that I've heard from other Christians has been, we want someone who punches back. In fact, I just saw a video um, on, on, shared on Facebook recently. It was a person talking in a church to a church congregation, and he was explaining his support for Donald Trump, and he was saying, I vote for him because I'm tired of leaders who turn the other cheek. I want a leader who punches back, and when he said that, there was a standing ovation. I'm not sure what was going on in that congregation or or why that seems like such a good thing, but Jesus says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. He wasn't joking. He was being serious. He was saying, in my kingdom, we don't play those games. Remember when Peter said, how many times should I forgive my brother? Seven times? Jesus says, what does he say? Seven times, 70 times. We are to turn the other cheek. We are to go the extra mile. He's saying this to people who are experiencing real daily persecution at the hands of the Roman Empire. He's saying this to the poor, to the disenfranchised. He's saying this to fishermen and shepherds, to day laborers, to people who are just struggling and who could be crucified, literally, who could be crucified if, if they do the wrong thing. These people are looking for a Messiah to come, a Messiah who will overthrow Rome. They're looking for someone who will wield the sword. And in many ways, Jesus' disciples, to the very end of his life, continue to think that Jesus will be that messianic king in the shape of King David and be a mighty warrior who will kick the Romans out and reestablish the Israelite throne. This is why they say to him right before his ascension, has the time come for you to restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus answers this question over and over again that he is setting up a different kingdom. He came not into Jerusalem on a war stallion, but on a donkey. In the heavenly places when John is having his revelation and everyone is looking to see the conquering lion, who walks into the room? The lamb, the slain and crucified 
Lamb of God. Jesus offers us a different path than what the world offers us. We are not a people who strike back. We are not a people who look for leaders who punch back. We are a people who put our hope in Jesus Christ alone. Jesus' disciples did not receive physical protection from Jesus. Think about this. I mean, there were times when the Spirit of God certainly protected them, like when Peter was released from prison on multiple occasions due to an, due to an angel or due to um, a miracle of God. Paul, the same thing. So God certainly did protect his people, but most of the disciples died of martyrdom. Most of the, the disciples and many, many early Christians were persecuted. That's not what the kingdom of God is about, offering us physical protection in this life. The kingdom of God is an invitation for you and I to live differently. And I believe that I and we need to be reminded of this today. That God has called us to a different way of living. A different hope. Our hope is, in, is not in politicians. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. I have a mentor who, say, who I've heard say this repeatedly, Galen Hackman. He says, whenever you go to vote as a Christian, you have to leave something important at the door. You have to check some important Christian principle at the door because there is no politician on the right or on the left who accurately and fully represents the kingdom of God. Now, depending on your bent, whether you're social justice, you might lean to the, to the left, or you're a person who's passionate about um, human life in, in the fetus and, and, and babies, you might lean to the right in various other positions. But no matter what, when you check that ballot box, when you go in there and cast your vote, there is something about being a Christian that you are checking at the door because there is no one on, in our political system that accurately and fully represents the way of Jesus Christ. Now, this isn't to say don't vote, but it is to say be discerning, be careful, and do so with humility, understanding that if a person votes differently from you, that doesn't mean that they're not a Christ follower. It doesn't mean that you get to cast the first stone. It means that we approach this with humility and grace, and understanding, and compassion, which is utterly lacking in our culture. And so as we walk that out and practice that, we are salt and light to the earth. This verse, I want to highlight one last thing. Verse 44 of Matthew 5, where Jesus says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. If I were to ask you, what's the most quoted verse in the scriptures? Probably you would quote back to me a verse I've already said today, which is why I used it intentionally, John three sixteen. Probably no one listening to this batted an eye earlier when I quoted it, because everybody quotes that verse. It's just a common, we understand, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The most quoted verse by the church fathers in the first 300 years of Christian history before the church became politicized, when Constantine made it the official religion of Rome, the number one most quoted verse among the church fathers is this. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Not John 3.16, not 1 Corinthians 13, not 1 John 3.16, wonderful verses, not verses from Ephesians 3 or 4. The most quoted verse by the church fathers, was this. Love your enemies 
and pray for those who persecute you. This continues to be a seminal verse among persecuted Christians throughout the earth. In places where we have incredible freedom and privilege, not that there aren't also injustices here, but where where we have the freedom to practice Christianity, this one might not be the most quoted verse, but for those who are truly facing persecution, this verse is the heartbeat of their faith. Love your enemies, because it is exactly what Jesus did for you and I. While we were still sinners, while we were enemies of God, Jesus loved us and gave himself for us. This is how we know what love is, that Jesus Christ laid down his life. And John writes in 1 John, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers as well. Just a reminder, some of the helpful resources as we continue walking through the Sermon on the Mount, I've been leaning heavily on The Divine Conspiracy by Dallas Willard. It's pretty dense and philosophical, but it's a great read. And also, What If Jesus Was Serious, which is a much lighter, a devotional-type style of writing, but also incredibly helpful by Sky Jatani. I'd also encourage you to listen today to the song Brother by the band The Brilliance. In this song, they're wrestling through these concepts, and, and the lyric in the chorus is, when I look into the face of my enemy, I see my brother. May every Christ follower who engages the kingdom of God seriously cry out the same prayer today. When I look into the face of someone who, according to the world, would be my enemy, I do not see an enemy, but because of Jesus Christ, I see a brother, I see a sister. So read today, read Matthew 5, verses 38 to 48, and ask these questions. Who is your enemy? Why? How might Jesus be calling you to love, pray for, and serve that person? And how does this teaching of Jesus offer you a path forward? I pray that this teaching is a blessing for you today. I pray that it's challenging for you today, but I pray that you don't give up on it, that you chew on it, and you walk with Jesus. May we be a people of peace who seek a life of obedience with him today and forever. Amen. Go with God. Have a great day.